Welcome back to the Running Wine Mom podcast. I'm your host, Samantha Slinsky, aka the Running Wine Mom. Today, I have the privilege of chatting with one of my dear friends, Brittany Green, mother of three and a high-end photographer based in the beautiful Bucks County and surrounding area. Brittany's journey is filled with the unique challenges, triumphs, and profound resilience that many of us draw inspiration from. In today's episode, we delve into the intricacies of parenthood and marriage, especially Brittany's experience dealing with the emotional complexities of two miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy. But it doesn't end there. We'll rewind to her days working in television, uncover the fascinating transition she made into the world of high-end photography. Join us as we navigate through the highs and lows, the tears and joys, and the ultimate strengths Brittany has discovered on her journey. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Welcome, Brittany. Hi, thanks for having me. So excited that you're here. Yeah. I think I've been planning this since I started my podcast. But... <laughs> never found the time, but I'm happy I'm here. Yes, I'm good. Um, so to start each episode, we start with our wine, wine, and win of the week, where we share our favorite wine or drink and then we whine about something that's bothering us and share a win so what's your w-i-n-e of the week okay diet coke (laughs) um if anyone if any of you already know me i'm i have a diet coke addiction and um with it being january and after drinking too much throughout the holidays (laughs) i want to kind of dry out and stick with the girl i brought to the dance which is diet coke I love it. Yes. And uh, and I had um, Becky on last night. We were saying she's doing dry January mm-hmm. as well. We were just saying people were doing like damaged January. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's dry-ish. <laughs> like I have a couple dinners and things that I want to go to. But um, just like cutting back because I feel like I had a party every week. And I, yeah. it was just too much. Yeah. I hear you. Um, so what's your WHI of the week? Um, so it's the first of the year. It's the first week. And um, I use a booking system called HoneyBook, which it's how I book, send contracts, um, get paid, everything like that. And having it reset this year and seeing that zero uh, as like the amount I've booked so far is kind of um, like it's unsettling because you go from seeing six figures to seeing zero. And just the um, pressure of having to do it all over again was a lot so and you have to do that every year yeah so every year it just will reset it's january 1st yep, it's yep. a new time and you booked zero amount of projects this year so far oh yeah so just like thinking of having to do it all over again is a lot yeah that's definitely stressful um so what's your win of the week um booked several projects by january 3rd i remember on january 1st i called my friend she's a photographer too and i'm like i don't know i just can't do it i could just like I see zero <laughs> and then within a few days of trying like praying hustling on social media I was able to book some things and it just worked out that's awesome yeah um sure um so I always like to ask my guests what is one struggle that you've overcome to lead you where you are now and what's one thing you're most proud of in your life so I wanted to make this jump from tv to photography probably two years before I even did it I um was just so afraid of being laughed at and having people who like I don't even know you know just say like I can't believe she wants to be a photographer she thinks she can be a photographer and that that feeling stopped me from doing it for about two years I just I didn't want to do it and I remember one day I had I don't even know if it was a bad day at work but I had a day at work I came home and I was laying in bed and I just created like the Brittany Green photography Instagram handle posted a picture I took of my own kids and just put it out there and I think that's so scary especially you know you started a business recently and starting your podcast like anything where you're putting yourself out there and being vulnerable it can be you know very scary and it's like you're 
you're putting yourself out there. So, mm-hmm. um, I think that was probably my biggest hurdle in life so far is just the fear of getting laughed at and having people judge me. Yeah, I totally can relate to that. And that I, as you're saying this, I'm like, wow, everyone and have felt, and I still am feeling that about like with the life coaching where I'm like, oh my God, people are going to think I'm weird or like with podcasts, mm-hmm. people aren't going to like it. But in the end, it's about you and what you make of it and not about nobody else's feeding yeah. your family or making the joy in your life. That and you like, are. who's going to laugh at me? Like some yeah. person I went to high school with, right. who's a, right. like a Facebook friend, like <laughs> yeah. nobody cares. Right. Like, and also a lot of it, you have to realize that you are the center of your own body mm-hmm. and person. So like, it's important to you, but not everybody's thinking about you either. Yeah. And I, I feel like I say that to like my students a lot. I'm like, to like, get over that fear, it's like, nobody cares that much about you. And it's not in a way to say like, nobody cares that much about you, but they're too busy thinking about their own insecurities than they are to worry about yours. Yeah. So that's awesome. So what is the one thing that you're most proud of in your life? Um, I think the thing I'm most proud about is, um, being a mom and not just the act of being a mom every day and doing that. But I, I knew that I put my business was started because of my children. Mm -hmm. And so it is all tied in with motherhood. I I used to take the train at 6 a.m. out of Trenton, and then I wouldn't get home until 8 p.m. And um, I just knew that I couldn't be the mom that I wanted to be mm-hmm. and continue doing that job. So I'm really proud that my children um, gave me this inspiration to make a shift because I never thought I wouldn't work in television. I always just envisioned doing I went to school for it I worked really really hard for 10 years to get to where I was and even before 10 years in college I did several internships kind of paved the way for different um, programs at Ryder and um, I actually did too many internships and they made me they made like a special exception for me so all of that hard work and then to just kind of take a moment and think is this really what I want It, it was what I wanted but right now, as a mom in my 30s, it's not really what is making me happy. Right. And that's amazing to recognize that. And again, it's all about the fear. People live in so much fear around like, well, what if this doesn't work? Or what if that doesn't work? And for you, having your kids be the inspiration for it just probably made you work so much harder at it. Yeah, I, I <clears throat> wanted So I, part of me is like, you have to look at your life in chapters. Mm-hmm. That was a chapter of my life when I was 20, in my 20s and working in television in New York. It was amazing. I mm-hmm. loved it. And I can't even say a bad thing about it because it was such a wonderful time. But when I had children and lived here and things, my priorities just sort of shifted. Yeah. And I knew that if I was in TV, I would never be able to be the producer that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. And I would never be able to be the mom that I wanted to be. So I wanted to choose one and I would always choose my children. Yeah. And that's great. Advice. And that's me. Some women can do it right. too. You know, yeah. That's another thing. Like, but it wasn't for me. Yeah. And that's awesome. Um, so the running wine mom, we always start out with fitness. So what is your favorite way to stay active or how do you stay active? To be completely honest, I don't like, and I'm going to, I'll be real. <laughs> it's like, yeah, um, no. Like I am in a phase of my life right now where I am not able to prioritize myself like I would like to. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, I I used to, before I had kids, I was very into staying active. I did Tough mutters. I worked out a lot. But right now, I'm not. Yeah. And 
sometimes part of me finds fitness culture, diet culture, all of that sort of like triggering mm-hmm. to to kind of become obsessive. Mm-hmm. And I come from like a place of disordered eating sometimes and um, like body dysmorphia. And right now, instead of focusing on my body, I try to move, I try and walk and do those things. I'm really just trying to focus on being the happiest person I can be and showing my kids that you don't have to be a certain size or work out all the time. If it makes you happy, it does. But I'm in a a part of my life right now where I I don't do that. Yeah. And, and, and just because people work out all the time, it doesn't mean they're happy, which like, you know, that's something that you're choosing. You're happy. Like maybe working out would make you miserable right now and, and it wouldn't fit into your life. You wouldn't be as happy as that. So that's good to recognize as well. I think. Like it's funny when I, what you would consider me my most fit moments, mm-hmm. when I was probably had the lowest body fat percentage. I was in shape. I could run and do things. I was not the happiest. I was obsessing over the mm-hmm. scale, obsessing over counting calories. And it was just too much for my mind. Yeah. Looking back on it, it even though people are like, "Oh, she was in good shape and she looked great," it, I wasn't great inside. Right, and that yeah, that's um, calorie counting is something that I will not ever do ever again in my life. I mean, I I don't think I ever will because same like I would I remember I would religiously in my fitness pal be like every single thing, put it in, put it or like scan it or put it in or whatever, and then if you eat like this every day, you'll be this weight by this time. And, it's and like, I never hit it. And I never hit it. And I was like, what? And I was going to nutrition. It's so like, what is in your mind? Tell what is in your, and I'm like, this is what I, well, you have to be having, like, are you having any family? No, I'm having just this. Well, it just doesn't make sense. And I'm like, I know it doesn't make sense, but like, and so I feel that's something for me. I'm like, I will never count calories again in my life. <laughs> I yeah. just eat what I want to eat when I want to eat it. Um, so you talked about the struggles that you have um, to stay healthy and fit is probably your motherhood, your phase right now, right? Yeah, I just, I, I've gone through a lot of trauma with previous pregnancies and losses. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had, like you mentioned before, I had two miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy, followed by um, very severe postpartum heart issues, which um, was very scary for a while. And I'm still on medication for it. Um, and then now I'm just in the thick of motherhood. I think that, like I said, if you look at your life in chapters right now, I feel like it's the hardest time when I have little kids, but you know, maybe when they're all at school, I might be able to carve in that time mm-hmm. that I, and I'm not denying that fitness is, you know, great. It, mm-hmm. I think that if you are able to do it, it's, it's wonderful and you should do it. And everyone should try and move and, and do what makes their body feel good. But, um, I'm just not there right now. Yeah. And that's great. So I, I appreciate that honesty. And I'm sure so many people do, because I think so many people feel the same way that you do. They're like, we don't have time for it and you want to have time for it, but it's just not fitting. And for it's you January right 1st, yeah. you know, the first week of January, there's all those pressures. Mm-hmm. So like, what are your goals? And sometimes it, I feel like you don't have to create a better you just appreciate you mm-hmm. and like, just, you don't have to change your expectations of I'm going to go to the gym five times a week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do all this stuff. Like just try and enjoy the best you that you have already. And, and I talked was talking to Mark about that. I was like, this is actually my first year that I don't have like a fitness resolution where I'm like, all right, I'm going to increase going. And I'm like, I am working hard. I'm doing what I can. I know what I can fit in. I realize that. And so why am I going to add more when yeah. it, I'm just, I'm, so that's important too. Um, so let's get into your parenthood. What do you think that you were least prepared for in parenthood? The job. 
like I juggling it all, um, having a career, having kids, maintaining a house. Um, it's just a lot on your plate. Mm -hmm. And as someone who's my husband's a merchant mariner and he's away for half of the year in two and a half month increments at a time. So I, it's really hard to kind of do it all when he's away. Mm -hmm. And, um, I wasn't prepared for that. And I, that's what made me really sit back and analyze what in my life really makes me the happiest. It used to be working in TV, Mm -hmm. but now it's being around my kids. Right. So how can I, but I I still need the money. Right. So it's like, how can I do make money and be around my kids? How can I make that work? Yeah. And you do such a great job of it. I mean, really, you are like, always out and that's what again not to be like oh, i was talking to becky yesterday but I, i'm having the conversation we had a lot of similar things and someone like you and like her are just such hard-working women in my life and i just love that you guys are killing it in both oh, of your you. um so what do you think your parenting style is uh casual you know this like <laughs> the I, best the best parenting style <laughs> like the combination of casual mixed with like 1960s like <laughs> yelling at them but yeah. but like no, I, I never was one of those people who put their kids on a schedule. Right. And it, I, I'm not knocking anybody who does, but it's just not for my lifestyle. My life changed. I'm very ADHD, kind of all over the place creative. Mm-hmm. And no day really looks the same for me. And I don't want, like, my child, I don't want to have to be tied down to a schedule mm-hmm. and not have freedom. It works for some people and it's great, but it's just not for me. I, yeah. We have different days every day and we just roll with it. I'm very casual. I do a lot with my kids. I take them out, yeah. go to restaurants. I've always been somebody who wants to just do things. I'm not afraid to do things alone with my kids. Yeah. So. I lo- and again, that's something that you definitely motivate me for. And I look to because we became friends right around the time that. It was like right after I had Tom. Like yeah. Her. Yeah. And I like, I think we had followed each other on social media and I was like, oh my gosh, she's like out at these like nice restaurants with kids. Like I want to do, this is what, this is what I always wanted in motherhood. But like you kind of, people make you feel like you can't. And then your husband is away a lot. My husband works a lot. I'm like, and you're doing all these things solo. It's like, okay, if she can do it, I can try and do it too. And that's. And I feel like when the more you expose them to Mm -hmm. things like that, the better behaved they are. And they just know how to act. When people are like, what are your hobbies? I love going out to eat. Yeah. I love going to new restaurants and trying good foods. And, you know, I we also have other hobbies. Mm-hmm. But that's something I did not want to have to give up when I had kids. Right. And so I've just always taken them along for it. Yeah. And you they do so much with them. They are so lucky. Um, what's one advice that you, a piece of advice that you would give other parents? Um, I think just to roll with it. You know, you're not going to have a clean house, do great at work, you know, have all these things going perfect for you like at all the same time like if one thing's doing really well other things are are Mm -hmm. lacking and just like roll with it enjoy the day-to-day and and don't get caught up in like what you're not doing or worrying about tomorrow appreciate the day you're in and every you know i'm somebody now who's who i'm i'm exiting the baby phase entirely and you know it's just like hold on to those moments and i know they can be seem stressful but just enjoy the good parts. Yeah, that's great advice. Um, so let's get a little bit deeper into your life. As a mother of three and the wife of a merchant mariner, your life is undoubtedly filled with unique challenges and joys. Um, so let's dive into these experiences in parenthood and marriage. So first of all, how do you navigate the um, 
the demands of parenthood when Michael is away. So you, you, if you want to talk a little bit about how he's away for a few months at a time. and So my husband's a merchant mariner, merchant marine, merchant sailor. He um, works on container ships mm -hmm. um, that are transporting goods. So it's not a military thing. Um, but in times of war, the government can activate the merchant marine to transport people, supplies, things like that. But um, in the day to day, they're doing everything from some military products and mm -hmm. like vehicles to, you know, fruit, medicine, iPhone parts, like who even knows what's in those containers. Right. So when you see it, a container ship, there's just tons of stuff in there. People buy them and send their, their stuff across the country or across the world. Um, and uh, so that's what he does. So he works on a ship in two and a half month increments. So he leaves for two and a half months and then he's completely home for two and a half months. So when I'm talking about my life, I really have sort of two lives mm -hmm. and I try and focus on the positives and of both and realize that they both do have positives, even when he's away. And it is harder for me they, that time of my life is beautiful, too. Yeah. So when he's away, I um, yes, all of the responsibilities fall on me to just kind of get it all done. But I also get to I'm forced to not forced, but like. When you're home, when he's home, I don't really see my friends as frequently. Mm -hmm. But when he's away, I see my friends more. I hang out with my parents almost every day. Mm -hmm. And that's been such a wonderful thing for my kids, too. So I I try and focus on those moments mm -hmm. in the thick of it to appreciate it. And then when he's home, it's nice because he's home. He's off. So he's a full-time dad. And I get to kind of focus on my business and myself. So I just always try and look at the glasses half full and and plan trips when he's home and try and look yeah. forward to things. Yeah. And obviously Mark's schedule is not as crazy as his, but I can definitely relate in the sense of I actually enjoy that Mark's schedule is kind of crazy and different rather than the nine to five, because just like it does, you do fit in the time for your friends. I feel like more or easier because you don't feel like you're leaving your significant other or whatever. So I, I can definitely relate to that. Yeah. Um, so how do you maintain a strong connection with Michael during times when he's away for like a long time? So I met Michael in 2012 and since then technology has really changed um, on, on the ship. So you think 2012, like that's not even that long ago. There were iPhones and the internet on mm -hmm. phones, but shipping was still kind of backwards. So for the first um, couple years, the only way we could communicate was via email. Oh and goodness. sometimes like, it wasn't even working. Yeah. So there would be times where he could call me when he was in port, but there might be like a period of 10 days where he's not even in port um, and he's out in open water. So there would be the only way to talk would be through email. So that was, you know, challenging, but we made sure that we wrote each other a letter or an email every day. And, um, that was nice too because I have all these letters from the beginning of our oh, relationship nice. of us talking to each other. And yeah. but then um, technology got a little bit better. We were able to do, use Facebook Messenger mm -hmm. to talk for a period of time. Um, that's usually how we communicate mainly. But then now um, there is Starlink on a ship, which is oh, like yeah. that Elon Musk yeah. internet, satellite internet. So that's on their ship. And uh, during depending on how many people are trying to use it, um, we can usually. Uh, use Facebook Messenger video. Oh, he doesn't cool. have an iPhone. So right. we use that to talk so we can like what about what are some strategies that you found to keep your family in a routine when he's gone? Have you found we any don't, yet? Yeah, we don't have a routine. <laughs> um I don't have a routine when he's home either. But um, so we just try and um 
you enjoy the time together and it's 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 a different life but right. it's a good life and do you how do you find self-care to maintain a sense of balance um when while handling responsibilities? i don't really like have self-care Right now, my idea of self-care is when all my three kids are in school mm-hmm. and I can just lay in bed and watch an entire series yeah. out of it. That is self-care for me. And that and that's what I think a lot of people do get, like they think self-care, you have to be going to get a massage or going to do this very big production thing. But literally laying in bed by yourself, editing, is like... It, I enjoy it. Yeah. I like being in there and like have my dogs, like it's nice. Um, what advice do you have for other parents who may be facing maybe similar challenges or ma- and in managing their families while their spouse maybe has a different schedule or is away for a longer period of time? Just give yourself grace and, and, you know, don't be too hard on yourself. I think maintaining a strong relationship with your spouse is, is the priority. If the two of you aren't doing well, the family won't mm-hmm. be doing well. So, you know, carve out times for dates. And I like, yes, we do go out to dinners and stuff on dates, but we also are a big fan of like watching a movie when the kids go to bed, mm-hmm. you know, um, just going for a walk. Like one time we got like hoagies and went to a park and ate them. Like you can do dates um, that aren't such like, you know, big things. Right. And just try and do that like weekly. Um, so to move on to the next part of your life involving parenthood, you talked about a lot of joys of parenthood. But there's also some challenges. You had two miscarriages and an ectopic pregnancy. Can you talk about that experience? Yeah, so I um, had two children. Everything was healthy. I did have some heart problems after my second, but it was managed. Um, And then I got pregnant and found out I was expecting um, April 25th of 2020. Mm -hmm. And I was excited. It was my third pregnancy. I felt like I was a veteran at this point. I've done it all. I, you know... It's just another thing. I was so excited, but um, so I remember I went in for an appointment. They said there was no heartbeat. They tried the Doppler and then they did the ultrasound. And those are words that nobody ever wants to hear. And so many women yeah, do hear it. Like it. And um, I'm like, wait, but I'm past 14 weeks. Like, I'm, I, right. that's like a zero, like a 1%, 0.1% chance or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It's so low. And I'm like, that can't be. Like, I've done this before. Like, I would have known or right. something. It, it was just so shocking. So um, there was that. And then I went home and they told me we can schedule you for a DNE, which is a little bit more complex version of a DNC um, in a week. And I'm like, I can't. Yeah, I can't be doing this. Like, it's traumatic enough, like going through this. I, I have to get this treated immediately. And um, there was one doctor who I like I called and they he was willing to stay late. And it was like everyone in the hospital was gone. Uh-huh. So the University of Pennsylvania was yeah. late and he performed the DNA. And it was just the whole experience was so shocking, especially the first 48 hours because yeah. everything happened so fast. And, um, but like after that loss, I was fixated on getting pregnant again. Mm-hmm. Like I felt like I, there's all these different emotions. I felt embarrassed because I announced it and like, having to like say that I'm not pregnant anymore. That was hard. I felt sad and disappointed because not only are you just mourning like a a pregnancy loss, you're mourning a life that you envisioned for the past 20 weeks. Yeah. I thought like, Oh, you know, all these things and I'm going to be giving birth at this time. And, you know, to have all of that kind of just taken away immediately is just shocking. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so I had the DNA and if they told me I could have gone home that night and tried to get pregnant again, I would have, Mm -hmm. like, I know it's gross, but I would have been like, yeah, that's like, I just, your brain is fixated on it. And then to have all those hormones like kind of, and like, like crash Mm -hmm. immediately, but then not having a baby even it was like, it was shocking. So, but I was fixated on getting pregnant. So on uh, that happened November 19th and then November 20th was the DME. On Christmas Day, I found out I was pregnant again. Okay. And I thought, this is the miracle. Like, I find out on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. Like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. So I um, called up my doctor and they said, well, we want to make sure that it isn't material left over from the previous you know, right. loss. Yeah. Because sometimes that can make HCG mm-hmm. like um, be in your urine and, and blood. Right. So they sent me for um, two blood tests, um, 48 hours apart. And if you know anything about HCG, it means that's the hormone your body secretes when um, you're pregnant. And it usually doubles mm-hmm. about every 48 hours mm-hmm. or like 1.5. It increases like 1.5. But anyway, it um, it doubles. That's kind of the easy way to do the math. And mine doubled. So I'm like, oh, perfect. You know, this is great. So I um, went into work. This was uh, the week between Christmas and New Year. Something was wrong. I like, you know, even though, yes, people can have healthy pregnancies and bleed. I just knew that something was wrong. So I went home and I called like my doctor and they said, go to the emergency room. We'll test your HCG and we'll see. We don't want you to get an infection or anything. Mm -hmm. So let's just go in the emergency room and we'll do an ultrasound and everything. Um, the pregnancy was still too small to see with the ultrasound, but my HCG stopped rising. Okay. And that's usually a sign of abnormal pregnancy. So I knew that something wasn't right. It was, they said, it's probably a miscarriage, you know, just give yourself time, Mm -hmm. heal. Um, but you know, we'll send you for more blood tests just to make sure that it is an ectopic. Mm -hmm. So the next, um, blood test I did, it rose again. And then it dropped in the following one. So they knew usually with the topic pregnancies, the HCG rises and drops, okay. rises and drops. So it's it's not even like a lot of miscarriages rise, drop. just drop. Yeah, when it's because the pregnancy is still sort of growing, there, yeah. but it's growing up normally. Right. So at that point, we knew it it might be a topic. Mm-hmm. So the way they figured that out was I had to go. It was a outpatient procedure. I wasn't sedated. I wasn't, um, I was totally awake, no pain relief, is they, it's almost like an awake version of a DNC, yeah. where I was awake, and they stuck rods in my cervix, and empty your uterus. Oh my so, God. um, and then they test everything in there, and then to see if there's any products of conception. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the following day, they said, go for a blood test, because it should drop. Mm-hmm. And then mine didn't drop, mine rose. So at that point, they realized that the pregnancy was elsewhere. So then it became a um, a game and in, in trying to find it. Oh, so wow. they didn't, like, depending on where it is, ectopic pregnancies, most people think of them as in your tube, mm-hmm. but they can be anywhere. They can be in your abdomen. They can be in your cervix. They can be in your C-section scar. That's mm-hmm. another really popular place that they go, and all of them have their own complications and risks. So the only way to find it is with an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. So they, I went through for ultrasounds almost every day trying to find it. 
And then eventually they said, we found it. It was in a complex place that, which is where your uterus and fallopian tube meet, which is like sort of like a denser part. Mm -hmm. And that comes with, with its own complications. So the way they initially try and treat it is with something called methotrexate, which is a chemotherapy drug. Okay. <laughs> and um, I went for um, an injection of that. And then I went for another injection of that. And then it came back that it failed. The pregnancy was still growing. So at that point, I was like, I just want to get the surgery. Mm -hmm. I, I had this fear. This is weeks now going on. Yeah, that's we're, a long time. Now we're at the middle or end of January. Okay. And I'm afraid I'm going to rupture. Right. And then I'm, it's not really like dying. I, I was afraid of I'm like, I'll be able to get the surgery, whatever. Right. But I was afraid of like the pain. Right. I didn't want to have to experience yeah. that. So I opted for the surgery. And I remember that day, I just felt really terrible. Mm -hmm. I was in, I was just so shocked from the, all of the months that mm -hmm. led up to yeah. this. And I couldn't believe this was happening to me. I had like a 1% chance of a loss in the second yeah. trimester, followed by like a 1% chance of an ectopic right. pregnancy. I couldn't believe how unlucky I was. But I went in for the surgery. I remember I, I was terrified because there was a risk that they wouldn't be able to do it laroscopically because mm -hmm. of its place. And that they would have to do a full incision mm -hmm. and open me up entirely and do like a, a resection of my uterus. Mm -hmm. And I just was so afraid. And there was also a risk of hysterectomy. Oh so gosh. I was just so terrified. I was like crying going back. And the nurse like hugged me. And then I had the surgery and I woke up. And the first thing I said was, did you have to cut me open? Right. And they said, no, we were able to get it. And I actually had already ruptured at that point. Oh my god! So when they opened me up, it was already all ruptured. Wow. Yeah. So I was happy that I did opt for it because, like, I just thought it was just pressure. Pain, yeah. Like slight pain. I didn't feel good, but so um, there was that. And then having um, the methotrexate mean meant that I wasn't able to get pregnant for a few months um, because it's a chemotherapy right. drug. It, can cause so many birth defects right. so they have to make sure it's out of your system so i forget what the time frame was it might have been like four or six months i tried again and i had another miscarriage and then i was just like you know what michael's going to be home one more time right one more month let's just try again and then i got pregnant with tommy okay wow. and i found out in august of 2020 okay yeah wow. so that's, that's like the whole timeline of everything. yeah um oh my gosh that's crazy and it, and not only wanting to get pregnant but also with Michael's schedule, trying yeah. to work it around that is probably super stressful too. Like I had no, I was always somebody who conceived very easily right. and I was able to get pregnant. It was just, I, but I've seen other women whose husbands, because a lot of merchant mariners work, like they work on oil rigs too. Mm -hmm. And they have two weeks on, two weeks yeah. off and they can never line up with up. their, with ovulation and everything. Oh so I see in a merchant marine wives, Facebook groups I'm in, how, you know, like just struggling to get pregnant. You always have to plan everything. And also I had to think, I, I don't have to just plan to get pregnant. I have to plan it so that I give birth when he's, when home, he's home. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And was he home for all of your births? He was home. He, he almost missed Rachel's. So, okay. Oh yeah. Your first. Oh yeah. Um, so obviously dealing with all of that had to be so stressful. What um, like coping mechanisms did you use to deal with that? So I'm very into social media. So mm -hmm. I went on Facebook. There are so many wonderful um, loss groups that are started by women with losses. Mm -hmm. Some are affiliated with organizations and other ones are just 
started by women who wanted to create and start a community for mm-hmm. people. So joining all of those, I joined, you know, loss groups, second trimester loss groups and ectopic pregnancy groups. Mm-hmm. And just like seeing that I wasn't alone was wonderful. And, um, you know, just having a sense of community, but also like some people like really stepped up mm-hmm. um, and they weren't even friends, mm-hmm. if that makes sense, like suffered a um, stillbirth. And she, you know, sent me a gift and checked in with me every day and was just so kind. Mm-hmm. And then even my husband had a, um, another man who he knew through um, the same shipping company, mm-hmm. his wife had a stillbirth of twins and, um, she contacted me. She actually sent me a wind chime to always like to put up to like, remember, so right. you hear it, you think, yeah. like though, it's just funny how so many women who I wasn't even friends with, like too like my friend it's not that my friends enjoy anything but like people just are so kind and right caring. yeah um so how about with with michael how did you heal together and support each other um, so everyone grieves differently mm-hmm. um and that's something that you know i feel like and a lot of people in the lost community have said like my spouse is grieving like this i'm grieving like mm-hmm. that in my sense it was almost like an all-encompassing grief it like dominated a- everything Mm -hmm. i you know cried i didn't want to do anything i just wanted to sulk and mourn when my husband was more of a quiet griever he um, was obviously upset about it but he wanted to do things Mm -hmm. and get out and like that didn't really jive with what i was feeling so it didn't it's not to to say that he was grieving less but he was grieving differently Mm -hmm. and that can kind of be hard when you're going through it um and then you know, I, I felt also a little bit more because it was my body that had to go through all of these invasive procedures. And I was the one with the hormones, you know, that dropped every time. Mm-hmm. And it just, I felt like a failure in my own body. So it, it, it was personalized for me. And in the moment I thought like, well, he doesn't have it as hard as me. Too. Right. So, you know what I mean? Like, even though he did, I it was just like, different. It's yeah. just different. So yeah. I think that it's important just to like understand that everyone grooves differently and um, to just understand that. Yeah. So amidst the grief, how did you find your hope and strength to continue with your journey towards parenthood? Are there any specific moments that helped you to move forward? Well, I think that having the methotrexate forced me to not think about it for several months. Um, I was still really sad Mm -hmm. and I still um, wanted a baby desperately. Um, and even, but I also felt guilt because mm-hmm. I also had two kids. Right. So that's like a whole thing in the lost community as well. When, you know, there's second, um, secondary infertility and, um, you know, I, I felt like, well, why am I so upset? I have, I not only had two kids, I had a boy and a girl, Right. you know, I had everything that yeah. something like that everybody wants, but I still wanted that third kid. Mm-hmm. So I felt guilty, um, as well, but I think what really helped me heal in all honesty was having Tommy Mm -hmm. and it's a shame. I don't want, I feel bad saying that because that's not the ending for everyone's story. Mm -hmm. A lot of people never get that rainbow baby. So I, I, I feel bad saying that, but it's, but it's the truth for me. For you. Yeah. And similar with like even relationships, like I didn't get over previous boyfriends until I had a new boyfriend. Right. Yeah. And it's just how I am, but I yeah. feel bad saying that because it's not everyone's story. And 
but it's yours. Yeah, it's so fun. that that's how you personally heal, you know, but other, you know, there's, I'm sure there's tons of different ways to, for people to heal, but for you, that was the best way for you to heal. And that's, but in the process of the whole loss, like I, I, like I said, I experienced like the beauty of people. And mm-hmm. I also experienced like just ugliness in people. I had, I remember after I announced it on Facebook, I had a client who I was not even friendly with really who had a baby Jude at the same time and was texting me and asking me about my symptoms and wanting to know what triggered what I thought might have you know been a warning sign of the miscarriage and it just like to me it just like felt like really ugly right um and like narcissistic and like well I don't want this to happen to me so let me just yeah this person yeah like she wanted to like get information about right and then I also had a client who um I was supposed to do their newborn session um like the day after I found out I was I I lost the baby and um I was like on call for DNE and I also I did not want to photograph a baby at that time and they refused to um reschedule and I had to give them their money back you know when I but I also had many clients who were like oh my gosh take your time like we'll wait for you but I also experienced some kind of like ugly behavior too yeah that's a shame i'm sorry that you went through that so reflecting and looking back how these challenges kind of shaped the your perspective on motherhood when you look at conception to birth Mm -hmm. there are so many things that can happen and go wrong Mm -hmm. you know and and just being in like these laws facebook groups like all of the different um you know genetic you know, disorders and things and just like maternal health that can go wrong. It just made made me realize that every single human being who's here is really, it's like a miracle because mm-hmm. just how everything just came together to bring them here is, is, ama- is amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I look at life as that, like, I really value life. I, um, and I just, I think about like, wow, like every single person here is supposed to be here. It's amazing. Yeah. That's, oh, I love that. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Let, like, it's like a lot. And that's, I, I, I know so many people need to hear, just like you needed to hear that you weren't alone. This will be so beneficial for so many people. Um, to move to a lighter note. So let's talk about how you, you know, a little bit about you working in television and moving over to photography. You have a background in television. How have the skills and lessons learned from your TV career contributed to you changing over to your photography yeah so i i started as um a production assistant and moved over into like camera operation mm-hmm. and field producing and um then i i ended my career doing casting and all of those things like being a, a producer it's a lot of people work it's a lot of talking and networking and getting things done and it's just like it takes a lot it takes a lot of hustle mm-hmm. so transferring that over into like getting clients um, marketing myself, just being relatable and personal mm-hmm. to people when I'm, I'm doing a session with them. I have to make people be comfortable to be vulnerable in mm-hmm. front of me. And it's the same thing when I would be interviewing somebody um, on camera. You know, I I would have to have them answer authentically and, and be themselves and just be able to open up. And even though I'm not interviewing people and I'm taking their pictures, they have to, you know, show yeah. me a side of them that they might 
not be comfortable with mm-hmm. and I have to make it comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, you do always make it so easy. I still, I feel like every time you, and we're good friends, like, and I'm always like, oh my God, I'm so nervous. No one's going to smile. Like you, and just feeling that comfort is so important. How, are there any specific moments or projects from your time in TV um, that stand out as particularly memorable or influential into shaping your career? Yeah. Like I, there's so many like cool things that I remember like getting like chills when I was in the moment with them. Like when I was an intern at MTV, I had to stay late for a project. Um, and like, I think I stayed till like 11 p.m. And MTV sent me home in a black town car oh. from New York City to Ryder, which is about oh, like right. an like an hour drive. Right. So like pulling up in front of my sorority house, like I called my roommate. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like MTV sent me home in a black car. Like, come, um, come outside and see. Yeah. So like, like things like that, like from the beginning. But then, like, seeing my name in credits for the first time, um, you know, getting shipped out to film a TV show, um, that was amazing. Like, I, I remember the first time I was given the responsibility um, on a show to film, run audio. I was alone entirely by wow. myself to do this. And I just felt, like, somewhat imposter syndrome. And mm-hmm. then also, but, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. It's so cool. Like... So all like the places I've gotten to go, um, I've, I've traveled to, you know, almost every state, getting to see a lot of the country. It's just everything about, I love the life of TV mm-hmm. and I, I, it was a cool job to like go to parties and be yeah. like, you're like, Oh, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a television producer. Yeah. It was just, it was fun to talk about it. Yeah. That, that is definitely, I'm sure there's so many fun things that you and celebrities um, and yeah. things like that. Meeting different people. Um, so there was obviously a skill transfer from TV to photography. Um, are there any surprising connections between the two, between like video producing and owning your photography business? Yeah, like I, what I said before, mm-hmm. which is, you know, making people feel comfortable. And um, I, I think like that is something that whether I'm taking their picture or having them answer a question, mm-hmm. it's just making people feel comfortable to be themselves in front of me and not have to worry about, um, you know, anything. Yeah. That's awesome. So then, okay. So you left TV, you started your photography business. How did you figure out it was photography that you wanted to switch into and not something like else? So I love, so I, when I was doing camera operation and field producing, mm-hmm. um, I was a shooter producer and I loved it. I loved being able to use gear and take, mm-hmm. you know, video. And, um, you know, I loved that. I thought it was really fun. I was always like a gearhead when it came time to um, cameras. And um, after I had my second son or my second child, Mikey, we had a newborn photographer come and she was amazing. And I was watching her and I'm like, I think I could do this too. And it's not, it wasn't any knock like, Oh, I could do that. You know, right. it was like, no, I like, she was really, really talented and amazing, but I think I could try it. Right. So I, that was when I had Mikey and um, that was like December of uh, 2017. And I didn't make um, my Instagram until like the end of 2018. Okay. So I, it took about a year for me to actually do it, but I was like, I think I could do it. And right. I, you know, went home and I, or, or, you know, I sat down one night after work and I was like, let me see, like, you know, if I charge this much and I do this many shoots, like how much could I really make? Mm-hmm. And then when I, I realized that I, I could make something, it might not be, I, I thought at the time it wouldn't be as much as TV, mm-hmm. but it would be something. But I 
that's what really kind of made me switch. Yeah. Um, so what were some initial challenges that you faced when you started it up? And how did you overcome them? So I, I'm very goal oriented. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, look, first off, I'm not leaving my full time job. until right. I know that this is something that can work. Yeah. And uh, I think that when people start small businesses, they mm-hmm. should always think of that. Like, yes, it's very brave and amazing to like leave your job and start something, but make sure you can, you can. Yeah. So I was somebody that like that. So I thought, okay, well, I still have any, I still have a paycheck coming in. I can be, I can give myself Mm -hmm. time. So I said, when I started in August, I said, okay, well, my goal is to have my first paying client approach me within a year. And I feel like that's realistic. Mm -hmm. Like I could probably do that. And that happened within a month. That's awesome. So I think, you know, my first year I made like, you know, some extra money for uh, Christmas and Mm -hmm. everything. And I'm like, all right, well, let me see if I can take this seriously. And each year it just grew and grew. grew. And um, I I really hustled in the beginning and put myself out there on social media and just tried to make a connection with the community and, and have people, you know, use me. And I, it, it, that was challenging, you know, like being vulnerable, putting yourself out there. Yeah. Um, and also in the photography community, there are women who have been doing it longer than me. So, you know, having, earning their respect mm-hmm. and, I was always um, very adamant that I wanted to have an entirely legal business. Mm-hmm. I carry, you know, insurance. I have an LLC. I pay so much in taxes. Mm-hmm. And, but I wanted to make sure it was a legitimate business. I didn't want it to be like, you know, like some like mom hustle things that like, you know, aren't really legit. I wanted to have my own business. Right. That's amazing. And you are killing it um, in the business. Oh, thanks. So going into that, let's dive in a little bit deeper into it. Um, you, you do so much work in Bucks County and the surrounding areas. So how do you how do you approach capturing the essence of a moment of a person in your work in your photography work? Like how do you figure out well, each client is different? How do you know how to shoot them? Do you have a specific style? What's your like create creative thoughts when you come in? Um, so a lot I can figure out how people are within the first like five minutes of meeting them. Mm-hmm. Some people are, you know, colder and nervous. Um, some people are just way more outgoing. Mm-hmm. So I think like just getting them to feel comfortable around me. I just came from an engagement session and we talked over like things we have in common and, mm-hmm. and I just tried to make them feel comfortable. Right. And um, like I, people always say to me, especially couples are like, we're so awkward. Like we <laughs> we're like the most awkward couple. Like you're going to have to really help us with this. And then by the end of the session, they were like doing things without even me prompting. Right. So it's just like making people people feel like they've known me forever mm-hmm. when they just met me, and and being able to be vulnerable around me. That's like my goal. So some people, yes, it takes a little bit harder work, mm-hmm. but um, I feel like I've always made some sort of connection with people, um, and made and I've always gotten you know photos for them. So. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you have any like particularly challenging project or session that you went into and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to be really difficult, but then it ended up working out great after some like creative change? I don't know. I've had sessions that I've left and been like, oh my, like, gosh, that's a disaster. Yeah. Um, like, uh, on the beach with greenhead flies. <laughs> oh gosh, I can or, only imagine. Um, you know, it's insanely humid mm-hmm. or someone falls in the ocean right away or, you know, I've had sessions that were challenging, but I, I kind of, that's what I, I love yeah. too. Um, 
no session that I ever do is really the same mm-hmm. people, different personalities. So um, I don't know if anything was necessarily, um, I, I, it's just, everything's great and, but everything can also is different. And right. I just try my best. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I'll have one more question for you. What advice would you give someone who is on the fence about they're stuck in their career, they don't know what to do? Um, and similar to what you did, you kind of just, ju- you know, jumped in, not just jumped into it, but you made the switch in a great way. What advice would you have for them? Just do it. Like, just start. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest hurdle is just starting. Like, put all of the fears you have behind you. Like, who cares if, like, people are laughing at you? Mm-hmm. Just like, but they probably even, they probably aren't, but who cares? Just do it. And, you know, that is what held me back from doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think that it's so important to just act. Right. And, like, there's so many people out there who probably have so many amazing ideas and business, like, ventures they want to start. But then they're just paralyzed by right. fear and, and judgment. And it's just, my my thing is just put yourself out there and try. Mm-hmm. Because what do you have to lose? Mm-hmm. Like I've failed at so many things in my life. Every single diet I've ever been on, I always quit. Every workout regimen that I'm like, oh, I'm going to really stick to it. I quit. Like I've failed at so many things. So like, what's another thing? Right. Like, it's just like, who cares? And people do put such like a stigma on failure. Like it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. No, it's a it's lesson a learned. Yeah. Like, it really is. It's just, just put yourself out there and try do a little bit every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and just put your heart into it. And I really do think that, you know, that people, if you, if you try and it is a good idea, you, you know, not everything's going to work out, but just try. Right. No, I agree. And I'm definitely taking that advice too, as I'm starting up this new business that I'm doing with, you know, the life coaching and partnering with the other girl that I work with personal training and nutrition. And it, it I'm feeling all of those those years scary time yeah i'm like nobody's gonna want to do this nobody's gonna like this and but i have a passion for it so it's like why not try it yeah and it's just like the beginning's hard like you are figuring everything Mm -hmm. out for the first time you're starting a business you're trying to attract clients you've never done it before you're going to learn a lot of lessons yeah and you know not everything works out and even now in my business there are times i call it desiree I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just feel like I'm getting ghosted by everybody. I feel like a failure. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's, you know, I, I call her every day and say that. Yeah. And then and I'll be like, far from right. it. <laughs> I'll call her and be like, Desiree, I just got an inquiry. And usually she's like, I got it too. And I'm like, okay, well, what should we quote them? You know, like, I think that's one thing I want people to know too, is that all of the photographers, we all talk to each other. Yeah. So when you're reaching out to everybody, it's like, oh, I got an inquiry from Jane Doe. Me too. Me too. Me yeah. Too. We all know. Oh my gosh. That's so, what, <laughs> the secret's out, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. Um. All right. So that is going to bring us to the end of another episode of the Running Wine Mom podcast. Thank you so much for sharing so openly and honestly. Um, it's clear that your journey is filled with both challenges and moments of incredible strength and resilience. So thank you for being an inspiration to us all. Thanks for having me. Yes. And as always, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing, leaving a review and sharing it. You can follow me on Instagram at the running wine mom underscore and Brittany, tell them where they can find you. You can find me at uh, Brittany Breen Photography on Instagram or on my website, brittanybreen.com. 
Um, and yeah, book me for a session. <laughs> I will link it all there. So thanks so much for joining today. Remember, you are strong, you are capable, and you are all amazing. Until next time, keep running, keep sipping, and keep embracing the joy of motherhood. Cheers, and I will be back next Tuesday.